Welcome to another episode of From Where We Sit. Today is going to be our eighth episode and last of what I'm deeming as our first season. When I uh, started this podcast a few months ago, my goal was to talk to younger professionals in the marketing field to get their perspective on the industry, trends in the workplace, behavior, things like management and work from home culture, um, things like that, and then give them a chance to have a voice in the conversation because too much is coming from the top, whether it's in news media or just social media. Also, selfishly, it was a bit of an education for me as I'm able to listen and hear people in this unique format, um, giving me a chance to learn as a manager and a boss of an agency. And then, you know, there's always that selfish marketing perspective of well, as well of getting myself out there. But ultimately, I've, I've kind of learned a lot, even from people that I've interviewed. So I've had actually four of the interviews were from our team at DNW and kind of learned a little bit unique about each one of those. And so it's got help me get to know the team a little bit better, which is awesome. And so I've kind of taken these first eight episodes and the eighth episode, which we're about to record. And I think it's an educational process for me that I've loved. Definitely want to keep expanding this conversation, maybe beyond marketing and my own network. Um, But for me, life is about perspective. And the best way to get it is to expose yourself to different point of views and to continue learning. And that's what I'm trying to do is just a person and a manager. And I know that sounds kind of altruistic, but I genuinely believe it because I'm just trying to do a good job and enjoy what I do as a, as a boss and a manager and I hate the word boss, but as a manager. And so with that, we're going to kick off our eighth episode with Esther Wong, who is works at Westerly as a marketing coordinator. And Westerly is a local Seattle-based company that does local meal prep and delivery. So welcome, Esther, to the pod. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, closing out the season. It's going to be a good conversation today. Kind of setting things up, it's just best to do a little bit of an easy question of just your path to your current position or just in marketing in general. Like Mm -hmm. what got you into marketing? Did you start in college thinking you were going to work in advertising and marketing or did you kind of fall into it? And then what are your thoughts and kind of continuing your career? Yeah. So normally I would dive right into here's what I studied in college. Here's what I did right out of college, blah, 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 blah. Um, But honestly, that was kind of boring. Um, After some reflection, I realized that if you look back on my childhood and growing up, I've always been very creative. I've always been drawn to pretty things, beautiful things, creating beautiful things. Part of the reason why I started taking on social media roles in college for a lot of the clubs that I was a part of was because Instagram wasn't just taking off. It had taken off um, and then it was becoming really big and people were really leaning into the aesthetic and influencers and making things look really pretty. And of course, now that's a completely different platform and people view it very differently. But I loved the idea of creating beautiful things and then putting it on the internet for people to look at. And so I think in a lot of ways, I fell into these these roles, social media officer, PR officer, photographer, all these creative things, creating social posts, taking photos, going to events, planning events, that sort of thing. And then by the time I graduated from college, I recognized that the degree I had studied and completed was relevant to a lot of different industries, but it wasn't the path that I wanted to take. So I studied human development, which was awesome. I think it really taught me a valuable perspective. The whole major is about thinking holistically, thinking about the ecosystem, thinking about human development and behavior from end to end and how we support that over the course of time and as a society. So that POV was very, very valuable, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But looking at all of the external or the extracurriculars that I had done during college, 
all of the social media roles and then also having a small photography business on the side, I fell into marketing. And I'm still here. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's amazing, like the intersection of consumer behavior, how that fits. Obviously, it's so important to marketing and, mm -hmm. you know, your background there, but also, you know, the creative side and just the the, the aesthetic side. I mean, I think sometimes mm -hmm. we get so data centric in the world mm -hmm. of marketing. I'm on the media side, so I, I understand that, that it, mm -hmm. we forget like creativity matters and yeah. being interesting and relevant to an end consumer who's a real person matters, right? Because mm -hmm. it gets all ones and twos and zeros yep. and ones or however it's supposed to go. And so mm -hmm. we, we sometimes forget that because it's you're almost like too too deep in the weeds to, to right. look back out and see that. Mm -hmm. So at Westerly, you're working in the marketing team. How big is Westerly? Maybe a little free plug for them a little bit, but <laughs> talk about Westerly at a high level, your role in marketing and some of the things that you're working on. Yeah. So like you said earlier, it's a local meal prep and delivery service. We're here in Seattle. My job as a part of the marketing team is to show the world what Westerly is about and to tell them about the amazing culture and products and service that they provide. So my role specifically, this is funny to say out loud, I think the biggest part of my job is getting to know the people at Westerly. One of the things we want to do is showcase like, hey, we're local. Like, you know us. We could be your neighbor. We could be your friend. We could be your cousin, whatever. Like, we are local. We are here. On the day to day, it's a lot of creating content, which is not something I thought I would be doing. This was something I did a lot of in college. And then out of college, I was dead set on doing strategy. And strategy looks like a lot of different things. But for now, strategy is taking a backseat for me. And of course, strategy applies across a lot of different things. Just because you're not a strategist doesn't mean you're not being strategic about the work that you're doing. And I think that's something that I learned over the course of the last year. Um, titles are important and whatnot. But I think what's more important is the work that you're doing and exploring and learning. And for me, what that looks like now is being creative, creating social posts, food styling, food photography. These are things that I did on a personal level, never professionally. And I'm really grateful that the company I work for now is very much supporting this side of, of my skill sets. They allowed me to build an in-house studio and it's currently being put together. And I'm really, really excited. Of course, that's a benefit for them. They have an in-house studio, but also like I get to play around. I get to be creative. I get to do something that I haven't done in a really, really long time. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I like to say like, I can't draw a circle, but that doesn't mean I can't be creative, right? So media often gets put <laughs> in a box of, you know, the tech side and the number side and analytics. But you know, creativity can come from a lot of places. Ideas mm -hmm. can come from a lot of places. So mm -hmm. like roles, and especially in smaller businesses, they are the roles are very fluid, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you've been at Westerly for a little bit now, but do you like the idea that the titles and jobs are like more fluid in the sense that like mm -hmm. your title is in marketing, but you're you're doing probably things that get outside of that with your day-to-day, -day, right? Yes. Ooh. So I, I love that there is room to explore the things that you want to do and not in the sense of, hey, we don't have enough people. We need you to take on more responsibility. It's very growth centric. What do you want to do? What do you want to try? Do you like this? Do you like that? My manager's always like, oh, we're doing this, you know, this thing next week. Are you interested? Is this something you want to do? And if it's like a maybe or a yes, she's like, great, I'll put you on. And if it's a no, she's like, no problem. Um, we'll keep finding things that you want to do outside of your listed job title. 
in your position, you talk a lot about social media and kind of your your entry point in was being social and Instagram. But mm-hmm. what trends are you monitoring? Like, are there platforms specifically? Is it more insights or or, or specific things that are saying here are the I almost call them breakthroughs, but like the, mm-hmm. the places that you're looking at because when you're maybe local or a, a company trying to kind of punch its way up, mm-hmm. you need to kind of explore spaces and kind of punch above your weight. Are there mm-hmm. things that you're monitoring or things you're noticing in the industry mm-hmm. or just platforms that are changing and, and how you're using them to maybe get better performance or better, I guess, engagement with the brand? Mm-hmm. So I think I was originally going to say that, oh, I'm not really monitoring trends. I'm just trying to show what Westerly is because Westerly is really great. It's got a great culture. It's got a great service, a great product. And these are all things that are really, really easy to talk about. But thinking about the bigger picture, there's already been this huge push towards authenticity. And people are really tired of brands being fluffy and walking around the block and then being like, oh, by the way, we want to sell you this thing. Click the button. People are really tired of being marketed to. People hate ads. Like, People hate the pop-up ads that you get when you go to a website or a blog. I think even ads on podcasts can be a little it's, – it's like touch and go. I think if if someone's really passionate about it, then like, yeah, promote the thing that you love. Yeah. You know, actually, that's it. People want to see people promoting the thing that they love. They want to know yeah. you actually like this thing. You're really passionate about this. This is really helpful to you. And it's funny because it's like talking to a friend and a friend's a friend saying like, oh – I tried this really cool thing. You should try it too. I love it. And here's why. Yeah. It's become very personalized, almost like from a macro to a micro level, which is really, really interesting. It's like the world is sh- the world expanded because there's so much information. And now we're shrinking back down to who can I trust and what are they telling me? Yeah. And by the way, from where we sit is still ad free for the time being. <laughs> looking for sponsors. And on that specific thing as a media person, I do knew. I'm, I'm like, how are the podcast ads? We're doing three-minute long stretches of really long-winded ads. And, oh you know, it's like really easy <laughs> to skip those ads. Yeah. But um, that's interesting what you're saying about more of the personal. And that doesn't just mean like influencer, though. It means just mm-hmm. really trying to connect with people where they're at and being more personalized and not mm-hmm. – you know, I think I had a conversation in our last pod about just being more authentic, right? Mm-hmm. And we were talking about I'm more of like a human – element but like in the end the consumers you're trying to reach are just human beings and they right. want to connect yeah. with something and relate to something mm-hmm. right and so it feels like at times we lose touch with that right because mm-hmm. it gets so pragmatic and in the client or the, if you're in-house or as an agency you're just you're just the client wants something specific so you just get mm-hmm. so focused on that task that you're, you're missing out on the big picture like does anyone actually want this i know the brand mm-hmm. wants this they want to click or a sale but like right. does the end consumer actually want this is this going to make right. their life easier or better or entertain them mm-hmm. or make them feel connected or right. a part of a community and like mm-hmm. you have to tie those things so the the really good campaigns or just messages tie all those things together not just mm-hmm. one or the other at a macro level, um, and to get a little personal, it's like a lot of the tech and marketing industry has seen layoffs in the last year, right? We've seen mm-hmm. a pullback. I've seen it on the media side, pulling back some budgets and just people getting a little bit more guarded, fears of a real recession or, or kind of just the or just inflationary things that are happening where businesses are pulling back and there's mm-hmm. a fear of maybe more to come. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk with someone who has kind of has been let go and now has found work, but about how that shaped your thinking on your career. Did that you know, kind of a transition from one point to the other. Did you do a lot of deep thinking? Did it make you say you wanted a little bit of a, a change in direction? Did it say, mm-hmm. okay, let's just find a new thing that maybe is a better, that's a fit that can keep helping me grow? How did you view that time and mm-hmm. what has that led to kind of personal growth? 
Yeah. So I think that experiencing that solidified some things that I was already processing and already thinking about before it happened. We've all heard of the phrase quiet quitting, and a lot of people are talking about how the younger generation views their career and their job very differently than the generations before them. Personally, I learned quite a few things. I think one, the track that I really, really, really wanted to be on and thought was going to be the thing is not my thing. And that's okay. I think in the moment, it was confusing and disappointing. It's like when you get the thing that you think you wanted, and you realize it's, it's, it's not what you thought it was going to be. Um, and that's completely okay, especially for someone that's my age. I think there's such a such a pressure to climb the ladder. And I definitely felt that. I was that way all the way through college and, you know, my jobs, my first few jobs right out of college, I was so bent on climbing the ladder. And then I realized, okay, I'm 27 now. I'll probably retire in my 70s because that's just who I am. So that gives me, what is that, like 50? 45, 50 45, years. Yeah, 45, 50 years. I got 45, 50 <laughs> years to figure out yeah. what it is I want to do, what it is I enjoy. And my so my mind my mindset has very much shifted from okay here's the track we're on we're gonna climb we're gonna achieve we're gonna get up there it's transformed into this more let's walk around the block let's smell the flowers let's enjoy the scenery let's let's make things that you want to make let's have some fun with it work doesn't have to be all go 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 and just achieving it's also about learning and exploring and also exploring things about yourself, right? Like I, earlier I talked about, I loved being creative, but I really did not think it was a career option for me. And the, But the role that I have right now is so heavily focused on being creative. And I'm enjoying myself. I'm excelling. It's a great time. But I think, it, yeah, it really shifted my thinking in, in the sense of timeline. I think it also shifted my thinking in terms of the concept of finality. So one of the things I've been thinking about is when you are my age, around my age, every decision you make feels so final. And I've been thinking about why is that? Is it because of the way I was raised? Is it because of blah, blah, blah? And there's a lot of reasons for that. But decisions are not as final as you think they are. And just because you're not on the one track and you're not taking off the boxes that help you climb that ladder doesn't mean you're not growing, doesn't mean you're not learning and there's something really comforting about that. Like there isn't so much of a, a time pressure or like a pressure cooker of I need to be here by this point. I need to be this yeah. level by this age. I need to achieve this. Da, 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 da. But that's hard to have, though, because I notice a trend and it's through LinkedIn. It's you just see everyone else around you in your ecosystem. And as your mm -hmm. followers and or the people that you're following on LinkedIn, for instance, grows bigger, you just see people who are like, oh, I went to school with that person, or I worked mm -hmm. with that person, and now that person's in that position. Mm -hmm. It's hard to not see that and feel that, right? So it's good perspective mm -hmm. that you're having this at this point in your life to say what is important to me. And I think a lot of people in a younger generation are having those thoughts, but it's also, there's so much to push you in this hyper-competitive, I need to advance really quickly and mm -hmm. continue to go down a path don't even want to get into like the social things of like trying to afford a home or things like that. But just like <laughs> LinkedIn pressure, I've noticed mm -hmm. it, at least from my perspective, of being real. Mm -hmm. And even me as like a business owner, I look at other people like, oh, that seems like a really cool job. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, they're doing that and working with that huge brand. Like mm -hmm. 
oh, why aren't I doing something like that Mm -hmm. big? And so Mm -hmm. do you ever feel that pressure or have you kind of moved beyond it a little bit or do you still feel it? Oh, of course. Of course, I still feel it. I think if I ever get to the point where I don't feel it, I I will have self-actualized and I need to write a book. I don't think that's ever going to go away. I do think there are things you can do to, in a sense, protect yourself or like be kinder to yourself. Like I'm not on LinkedIn as often as I used to be. There's some really cool stuff on there. There are some people I follow that are really cool thought leaders. I know that's not like people aren't big fans of the word thought leader anymore, but I digress. I think it's important to remind yourself that, one, (laughs) you're on your own timeline. Things happen at very different paces. Like I've got friends who have bought a house, have kids, have settled down. I've got friends who are traveling all over the world. I have a friend who's a traveling dentist. Like there there are so many different paths and your 20s and probably even your 30s are just such a weird mishmash of everyone is everywhere. And I think it's really important to detach your value from your professional life. And I'm not saying you don't want to be proud of what you do and you don't want to be succeeding and be good at what you do. That's that's part of being a human being. But at the same time, this sounds so cliche. Everyone is on their own path and it's okay. And also if you're jealous, maybe that's a good sign of like, oh, you want that then. If you're jealous of somebody, okay, what is it that you want? What is it about that position? What is it about that brand that you want? And also keeping in mind, there's probably some stuff behind the scenes that absolutely suck. And no one's going to advertise that. It's social media. LinkedIn is social media. No one's going to talk about the shit. Well, I think about this with having a lot of young workers on our team at DNW is, and even in these conversations is that this idea of like younger generation, they don't work as hard. I actually feel like they're more skilled and harder workers than ever. We ask more of them. Mm-hmm. I feel like they just want to have passion and be invested in people that knock on that and say, oh, you're 24. You're supposed to just grind it out. Like mm-hmm. that is f- amazing that people want to make a difference. Like we should mm-hmm. be embracing that and trying to challenge people. There's That doesn't mean they don't do grunt work and mm-hmm. do things within the day that aren't the greatest, like pulling data and getting really granular, which mm-hmm. isn't the most fun thing you need to do, but it's a part mm-hmm. of the job. But as long as the bigger picture is around giving them that they're invested in the process, they're mm-hmm. being communicated to, and mm-hmm. that you can they can be passionate about the work they're doing, like mm-hmm. that is a lot of what they're asking for. And, you know, at a bigger picture, people are like, well, how do we retain them longer? Well, maybe there isn't a perfect solution for that. It's mm-hmm. up to the individual. And mm-hmm. I always say some people just get the itch and want to leave and that's okay. Yeah. But while they're there, how do you get them as invested as possible? Mm-hmm. And so- it sounds like through your journey in the last just couple of years, like finding the thing that you can invest yourself in a little bit more mm-hmm. is going to give you that satisfaction. And then it removes the pressure of the other things a little bit, too, because you're mm-hmm. just you're invested in this thing. Mm-hmm. Is that somewhat accurate? I think so, because we live in a world where you can see what everyone is doing all the time. Right. Like it's on your phone. You can pull it up and you know exactly someone's doing this. Someone's doing that. Blah, blah, blah. It's it's too much. It's overwhelming. And I the way that I was raised focused a lot on external feedback, which is good, right? Like that's how you learn social cues when you're a kid. And like, it's important to to get feedback from people outside of yourself. But I think what this generation is really doing is turning inwards and focusing more on internal motivation, internal feedback. Does this feel right for me? Is this me? Is this what I want? And I think that's so much more important. Um, a, a mentor of mine reminded me of this concept of ikigai, I believe is the pronunciation. And it's the intersection between what you love doing, what the world needs, and what you can get paid for. And I want to say that this new generation is embracing that concept, whether consciously or subconsciously. But you're right. Why do we want to work at a job that isn't 
fulfilling. And I know there's a lot of different scenarios, right? You have artists who are uh, doing a day job so they can pursue their passions. That looks very different for a lot of different people. But at the end of the day, why would you want to do something that is absolutely soul sucking? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a little bit of privilege in that. We often talk about like white collar world, right? We're not grouping Mm -hmm. everyone for every job. Some people have to work for specific reasons Mm -hmm. and that, but for often for you think about like marketing positions or white collar world office job life, that is often how it is. And, you know, a lot of this I kind of mentioned in the opening, the podcast kind of started for me just watching TikTok videos of people like hating their job. And I just kept thinking with all the options available today, like Mm -hmm. if you're fairly educated, and there's opportunity, mm-hmm. which it seems like for a while there, there was a lot of opportunities in the job market. Like why mm-hmm. why kind of do these soul-sucking jobs if mm-hmm. there's other satisfaction? And there are industries and opportunities out there to also make a good living mm-hmm. but also do things that you enjoy. So I feel like there is a good balance. And I think it pushes me as a manager to make sure that the team, I'm being more aware of my surroundings. Mm-hmm. And I've even noticed lately, I had a busy, like, for instance, this week, I've been a little bit busier. Mm-hmm. And I had some moments to reflect, like, at night. And I'm like, Damn it, have I given someone enough attention during the week? Have I kind of, have they been seen? We're working so remote. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't even know what they're doing. I'm, mm-hmm. It seems like everything's moving. And that's probably a good thing. I don't have to check on them. But at mm-hmm. the same time, they probably want to feel seen and a, not appreciated because they need the pat in the back. But just mm-hmm. know that the work is being done well and that I'm mm-hmm. seeing it get the outputs as well. So it's something that mm-hmm. I reflect on actually quite a bit and I, I almost need to p- block time on my schedule to like give the kind of practical application of saying like hey this work is happening I'm seeing it you're mm-hmm. being seen and that your work is like I'm invested in your work and your growth and mm-hmm. it's not just being done in the background and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter from management and company standpoint right you were a very inquisitive person we worked together on a couple of projects mm-hmm. through the years and you always you would come to me separately, just independently, not related to the client or project, and just ask me questions about things, right? So, you, like, I always noticed that you're pretty inquisitive about how things work. And so, you know, what insights could you give management or people around you to how do you cultivate a work experience that for those that want to learn more? Because hmm. not everyone's exactly the same, but mm-hmm. like you were that type of personality for those type of personalities, likely like you. How could I have done a better job or do better mm-hmm. jobs with kind of nurturing your growth? That's a really good question. I think for the individual, it's important to remember that exploration doesn't have to have an output. I think one thing I've really struggled with is if I'm going out of my way to ask questions about this thing, to learn about this thing, I need to have something at the end of it, a write-up, a a brief, a better XYZ because of this exploration. And I think that that puts those moments into weird silos instead of, huh, I was kind of curious about this thing. I looked around, nothing to do about it right now. And then a week later, oh, that thing I was thinking about last week, here's where I can apply it. So I think being conscious of the journey more than the destination is important. And also it's a good way to be kinder to yourself because right now our society is so focused on output. Everything's about, well, what did that get for us? What the, what did that do for us? What did you do with it? Which is, I mean, work is work, so got to do stuff. But in the long run, that's that's not what we're looking for. In terms of management, I know this is hard, especially in, in fast-paced environments, but just having room to explore, like encouraging them. Ah, yeah, that's a great question. Take 15 minutes and like go down a rabbit hole and, and see what you can find. Um, and then on the flip side, if you don't know the answer as a manager, 
that's totally fine. Your job as a manager is not to know all the answers. It's to help your managee get to where they're going, whether it's um, facilitating their exploration or finding someone who could better answer their question or may be able to better facilitate um, that exploration. So I was thinking about like the process to get to know some people. It's easier to pick up intuitively, but also mm-hmm. managers, bosses, directors, they're busy too, right? And they get mm-hmm. caught up in their own world and trying to get their work done as well. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you have your formal reviews, but is there more mm-hmm. informal ways that you think could be done or whether it's having more check-ins, whether it's 10 to 15 minute check-ins, just like, mm-hmm. how are you doing? Like something mm-hmm. simple as that. Do you feel like that almost, it needs to be formal, but informal at the same time mm-hmm. so that we can get to know you. Cause like we have these conversations on podcasts, like you would never have a conversation like this mm-hmm. with your boss unless maybe you would it like drinks or just chat about sure. life or whatever. But mm-hmm. I wonder if there's some process without making it too formal to get to know employees at a deeper level so mm-hmm. that you can kind of tailor your approach to them differently, right? Mm-hmm. So is that, I know it's hard for you to extrapolate to everyone, but just do you think there's opportunities for that? Like in your experience, like can managers get to know you better so that mm-hmm. they can give you those opportunities? Because they may not, they they have blind spots too. They may mm-hmm. not know that. And if you don't bug them all the time, mm-hmm. which you don't want to, mm-hmm. they're probably mm-hmm. not going to give you those opportunities. So right. do you think there's something in finding a way to, to make those interactions happen more? Hmm. I think the environment and the culture plays a big part in that. Because when you have a manager, you want to know that you can go to them, even if they're really busy and be like, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Or, uh, hey, I made this really cool thing. Can I show you? Right. It's like you want to have that dynamic of rapport and trust and like professional comfortability, if that's a word. Um Right now at Westerly, one of the things that my managers do that I really love is like when you see each other for for the first time during the day, just be like, hey, how are you? Like, how is the day going? And just even like really high level, like, oh, it's going great. Like, I'm really enjoying doing this thing or like I'm having a lot of fun doing this or, oh, you know, it's going struggling a little bit, a little bit with X, Y, Z. And if if that is what happens, then. The manager is very open to, oh, like, can I help with anything? Do you need anything really quick? I got to run into this meeting in five minutes, but what can I do? Um, It's really about everything that happens in between the check-ins and the informal interactions that help you build those relationships and better management relationships. So we kind of gone deep on some conversations. I think as we're wrapping up here, the thing that we've rolled out here the last few weeks now is the the shallow end, which I think is a good chance to riff because I think sometimes you just need to vent. Um, Mm. I think people that have worked with me long enough know that this is a pretty regular occurrence where I have a little riff on a platform or a specific situation that just drives me crazy. Um, I actually, we're working on a blog about some of those type of things specifically. We're related to a platform, uh, Mm -hmm. not to be named here, but just a very frustrating platform Mm. that throws us a lot of curveballs. But Mm. um, what would you be your shallow and what's something you want to riff on? Ooh, ooh, I think I think I have two. Okay, first one is feedback for the sake of feedback. I think we we live in a society that emphasizes so much on make sure you're bringing value to the table. Make sure you're you're giving feedback, make sure you're saying something, make sure you speak at least once during a meeting, make sure you blah, 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 blah. It's almost like this checklist of things to do. But what I found is when you put that much pressure on somebody to do it, eventually they just start pulling things out of the hat. Like, oh, like, can you, I don't know, make this a little bit 
bigger or like, oh, yeah. I don't love the music on this or I don't know. Like they're just saying things for the sake of saying things and that's not, that's not like, valuable. They feel like they have, I, I fight this a lot, micromanaging, <laughs> which is, oh. it does it actually, well, it's more of, I see something aesthetically or something that I would maybe do differently mm-hmm. and being a lot more senior, especially with a more junior team, like, okay, is this actually changing the output to the client? Would they yes. care about it? Uh-huh. And am I nitpicking for nitpicking sake? Yes. But I will say <laughs> I did have a very strict older boss with decks who used to make me print out the decks and she would red mark them like a oh, teacher wow. and go through every inconsistency bullet point. And, it, mm-hmm. and I'll say I'm a lot better at it. And so there is a little <laughs> bit of a little bit of a drill master helped me look at the little things mm-hmm. and dial things up so that there's no distractions and that you can focus on the bigger picture. Because yeah. if you have little distractions, it can pull away from the important conversation. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes getting nitpicky can be good, but you also want to balance that because you don't want to hurt people's confidence. Yeah. So you're kinda, the, your, your output thing kind of reminded me that I'm kind of that guy. And I fight it. I have an internal monologue about it a lot, which is mm-hmm. like, do I say something here or do I not? Because mm-hmm. sometimes I'll have people on my team send me the email before it goes out to clients if mm-hmm. it's kind of an important correspondence and I'm mm-hmm. I'm like do I say anything or not yeah. is this actually going to make a difference is the client going to be confused by it right or if they're getting 95% of it right do I just let it fly even mm-hmm. if there's a couple things so it's mm-hmm. it's definitely hard not to be that everything's an output and you have to kind of like critique or say or get involved with every little thing yeah that's I, our thing I will say though uh, with with feedback if it's if you know it's something that will make the work better for the client or it adheres to the brief that's that's a non-issue for me. I think where I struggle is if feedback just kind of comes out of nowhere or if it's something that they personally would prefer and it doesn't really have anything to do with the client or the project, that's where I start to struggle a little bit of, okay, is this good for the project? Like, is, is this constructive feedback or is this just personal preference? Yeah. I'm going to give you room for the second one because if you remember it, because why not? You asked me about what trends I'm keeping track of or what things I'm seeing. I think as a, as a brand, as a company, it's really important to be true to who you are. So whatever that archetype or brand voice tone, you know, all that stuff, all the stuff that's in the brand guide, who are you and how can you play with trends without losing yourself? It's really easy to see a new shiny thing and be like, oh my God, everyone else is doing it. We have to jump on board or we're going to be behind instead of really thinking about, okay, this is really fun. This is really cool. It's getting a lot of traction. But is this who we are as a brand? Because some of the most successful brands are the ones who have been true to themselves and consistent over time. Like Geico, right? <laughs> look at look at those ads. You see, you see the little lizard gecko thing. You're like, Geico, I know who that is, right? And they've been doing that for such a long time or at least as long as I can remember mm-hmm. seeing their seeing their ads. Um, and I'm not saying there isn't room to play. There isn't room to have fun because, like, that's the whole point of trends. It's fun. It's creative. It's new. It's 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 sparkly. But at the end of the day, if you're just chasing all of these things without being really grounded in who you are as a company or as a brand, you start looking really wishy-washy and people don't really know what to do with you. And I think um, – what, what was that? Oh, there was this, like, whole thing a few months ago about, like, blands, like, bland brands, the ones that all use the same font <laughs> and all have the same minimalist design. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. everybody was chasing after that aesthetic and after a while – People got really bored of it. They were like, why is everybody doing this? Like, this doesn't tell me anything about you as a company. It doesn't – sometimes you don't even know what the product is because the branding is so bland. Yeah. So it's really important to to stay true to who you are. And that requires a lot of, I think, discovery and exploration. But it's it's worth it in the long run. 
Well, I appreciate the time today. I think we had a, um, a good discussion, especially kind of where you are in your career, kind of having a couple jobs now in, in your time and just how you've evolved as a person. I think there's a lot of like self-reflection that I heard mm-hmm. today. And mm-hmm. I think f- for those listening, those dozens of people, no, <laughs> as I joke about it, but no. Friends and family. Friends and family, exactly. <laughs> it's good because it's, you know, I think the whole point of this conversation is like kind of hear from your perspective of what are you going through and where is your headspace at? Because we don't always know and we mm-hmm. need to do, and when I say we collectively as people that are leading teams is mm-hmm. we collectively need to be more just aware and it's hard to find time for it because weeks get busy, months get busy, mm-hmm. days go by, weeks go by, and all of a sudden you look back and say, I, we haven't had done a check-in in a mm-hmm. while. And mm-hmm. it's it's sometimes, it's not just on the employees to always spark that conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's people leading teams need to see that and mm-hmm. kind of get ahead of it as well. And so I feel like there's like deeper lessons in all this as well that mm-hmm. I think to keep getting reiterated and kind of hear it in different versions is important mm-hmm. as we kind of look at modern business mm-hmm. and modern business like work day to day and how we... Just do better work in the end, regardless if someone's with you for 12 months or 12 years, mm-hmm. right? How can you just do better business in the meantime? And I think mm-hmm. these conversations, these softer discussions actually mm-hmm. lead to better like outcomes and, and, and services as well. Mm-hmm. So that's the goal. Um, but I, I do. Thanks for your time. So thank you, Esther. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Awesome. And thanks to everyone for listening. This is uh, the end of episode eight. Thanks to Ben Nussbaum for helping along the way with some of the sound, the DNW team for being supportive and uh, participating in the early podcasts and all the guests to date. So thanks again to all and hope to see you down the line. Thank you. <laughs>